young players today they want success so so quickly so just keep it simple master the basics that's it those basics will carry you through because once you enter the real world you're on your own on the one-eyed man podcast we've covered political leadership we've covered business leadership we've spoken a lot about entrepreneurship but we've never spoken to any coaches or sports management and i think this is a really interesting space the professional sports fraternity has grown in its maturity grown certainly in its commercial value over the last couple of years and the job of coach or manager has become increasingly more complex gives me great pleasure to introduce to you a short series called Leading on the Field, a series of conversations with individuals that are professional sports people or were professional sports people and now are coaches who've been coaches for a couple of years. I think you're going to find it fascinating. It wouldn't be possible without my friends at Forward Zone who've put together the guest list, if you like, and given me access to some absolutely incredible sporting personalities and sports leadership. On the show today is none other than Enoch and Queer. Enoch is the Proteas assistant coach. The Proteas, of course, are the South African national cricket team. He's relatively new to this position. He played professional cricket for many years, was an extremely promising talent, and tragically had his career cut short by injury. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about his upbringing, some of the lessons he learned from coaches at a younger age. We talk about his transition into leadership and coaching and some of the lessons he's learned through that. I love this conversation. I actually had to stop talking to Enoch because I think we could have carried on for three hours. His enthusiasm and passion for his job and for his sport and the impact it has on people's lives is tangible and palpable. And he's just a really good human doing an amazing job. Um, I think if you enjoyed this episode half as much as I did having the conversation, you're going to have a whale of a time. Thank you for listening. Please pass on to your friends if you find it entertaining or cool. So Enoch, I would love to, during the course of the discussion today, find out about some of how you became or how you were influenced by leaders in the early part of your career and how you learned from them and also how you maybe embodied some of those lessons in the role that you play uh, in the national team right now. But I want to start maybe more recently and find out what it's been like living and working in the Netherlands. (laughs) Thanks for the opportunity. I must say a lot has happened in the last sort of two years. Sure. Um, in sporting terms, it is a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah, I moved to Netherlands about five years ago. Okay. And I worked in the setup that side. The initial plan was just to do a sabbatical, to okay. be honest. Yeah, because I had worked for about seven seasons. Yes. Nonstop and very successful. And and I just thought I needed a bit of a break. And uh, I thought because I've got some sort of a network and... Mm. Yeah, let's rather to to Netherlands and <laughs> within a space of a month, obviously the national setup found out that I was around and you know, they, they gave me a call. Dragged you into the yeah, team. Yeah, <laughs> and they asked if if I'll be interested. To be honest, I just immediately jumped onto the opportunity. Yeah, I mean okay. I met up with Anton Rue, who was head coach then and and I thought, you know, look, it's a different energy, different environment, different thinking, different so many different things. Yes, uh, I've, been, I've played there for about five years before, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm quite familiar with the environment. But from a coaching space, I mean, it's a completely different ball game. So, and I thought, you know, let me let me take this opportunity to also test my philosophy as a coach. You know, I worked in a proper cricket environment in South Africa, and Netherlands is not really a cricketing country. 
Um, so I thought, you know, let me let me try it out. Let's see how it goes for for the next year or so. My heart was always here in South Africa. I knew at some point I was gonna come back to South Africa. I just didn't know when. So yeah, I mean, I came back to South Africa in 2018 when I got the Lions job. I mean, that was a phenomenal success, right? I mean, yeah. three straight trophies. And <laughs> in, in, as a Lions fan, I was very happy with <laughs> that performance. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that went well. And you touched on leadership and just looking at a year before that, yeah, I went through a bit of a tough sort of emotional period mm. because the challenge in the Netherlands wasn't in, big enough for me, to be honest. And I was doing quite a lot of research on the best practices in the world. Yeah. I mean, the likes of Barcelona, Man City, the Chicago Cubs, uh, New York Yankees. I mean, yeah, in the NFL, the Seawalks, also on the business side. So it's not just the cricket, the sporting side, also on the business side, just to try and understand what, what are the key fundamentals of what the best actually do and what sort of culture do they actually install in their organizations? And I also read quite a bit. I'm not a big reader, mm-hmm. but in the sort of two to three years, I, I did quite a lot of reading. Yeah, and I got stuck in there and I learned so much. I mean, just some of the things I was already doing and it was just sort of, yeah, reaffirming some of my beliefs and, yeah. and where I'm heading, the direction that I want to go. And I just kept on doing that. And for me, that was actually very motivating and very empowering, very educational. And when the opportunity came, I actually felt so ready. But one thing is that, and I remember, you know, chatting to a whole lot of people, I got stuck before I took the Lions job or applied for it. Yeah. I wasn't sure because I just completed the Cubs way, the Chicago Cubs way book, Theo Epstein. I Mm. mean, and I was like, he did such an amazing job in the space of five years. Mm. It was so simple in his approach. Mm. And he put the human element before anything else. And for me, that was actually quite big as well. Yeah. And I mean, after reading that book, I thought to myself, what am I? Who am mm. I? You know, dude, what direction do I actually want to go? Do I want to really be a head coach? Or do I want to go more into sort of like a director of cricket or CEO or, mm. you know, like mm. to lead a, a system? type of thing. And I was really caught up in that for about a month. I wasn't sure exactly how to go about it. And when I saw the opportunity of being a head coach at Lions, I said, okay, let me give it a go. Yeah. I mean, my heart is there. I've always wanted to. I've always had a massive vision at Lions cricket since I started playing from small mm. you know, into my professional uh, career. I played all my professional career at Lions. You know, when I started coaching there in the academies under 19s, I started to see this big picture and I just thought, I'm the one that's going to change it. I, like I actually, that. I actually just believed it from the moment I, I was offered the opportunity mm. uh, to start coaching uh, when I moved from playing to, to coaching under 19s. And I just saw such a great opportunity to, to really transform this organization, this team to not only be the best in South African cricket, but globally to be recognized globally and, and set new trends. Yeah. Amazing. I think it's true that, Many leaders, I mean, not just in sport, but in business or in society or whatever, go through this period in the desert, you know, this kind of like yeah. Um, yeah. A sort of a revival of sorts. Yeah. And you mentioned that, that what you read had a big impact on you at that time and the, and the Cubs way is, is one of those. What else did you read or what types of conversations did you have in that period that helped you crystallize this vision for your leadership journey? One thing I started doing was, you know, I can't talk to too many people. 
Yeah. Otherwise, I would get so plastered and, and, and lose control of my vision, yes, of my direction. Yes. And so I started to sort of, you know, uh, um, sort of create a small circle, like a group of people that I can actually engage with, people that actually wanted them to challenge me. And, you know, all, all I was interested in is I was so solution driven, yeah. to be honest. Yes, would identify a problem, but I don't like to sit on a problem. I use this sort of 80 20 sort of a model yeah, and I can spend my 20% on, on problems, but I don't want to dwell on it. I quickly need to find a solution and get into the 80% and drive it forward yes. positive. Cause that is just the way I work. Obviously my wife and my family was key. Yeah. My, my best friend and my agent. There'll be one or two people along the way that will sort of jump into the circle, but that was massive for me that, I had just different minds, yes, but they all understood, Tr- trusted, trusted, and yeah, and understood the big picture. So I'm hearing you say that in some sense, too much advice can be a bad thing. For me, <laughs> no, no, I think that's true for everyone, yeah. and I think we are brought up to believe that we need to get as much input and as much information as possible. But there's a danger that you sort of get that analysis paralysis. You know, where there's yeah. just so many different opinions so much different input to balance. Very difficult to make any sort of meaningful decision from there. Now we want to hop in a time machine though, because I want to understand how this guy came to be, right? How this yeah. this guy was such a distinct vision, with, with such passion for the game and for not just the game and leading in the game, but excellence. That's what I'm hearing you say is that it's not enough to be good enough. You want to be the best. You want yeah. to be a global benchmark for brilliance. Now, if we go back <laughs> early 2000s, you debut at the tender age of, of 19, if I'm correct, <laughs> hey? which is just a ridiculous thought. Yeah. In a, a sensational lineup, a, a four-day game, is that right? Yeah. Gauteng versus Easton's. Is yeah. That yeah, before the whole franchise system, yeah. It was but, cool. I, I mean, I took a look at this batting lineup, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bacher, Cook, Grant Elliott, whose name still gives me uh, cold shivers every yeah, time I read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cullinan, and then you've got Eckstein, Tabrigger, and you're getting bowled at by Nell, Morkel, Hall, DeBrain, Crooks, yeah. right? And you make a century. Yeah. That's sensational. I mean, this is unbelievable stuff. Talk to me about that <laughs> 19-year-old boy. And I want to know if you could go back in time and sit with him in the change room after he comes off the field, after that that achievement, what would you tell him in that moment? Wow. Yeah. The thing is, is, yeah, I'm trying to put myself on the other side. That still gives me goosebumps, to be honest. That was hell of a, a four days. Not only those four days, but weeks leading up to that. Yeah. I mean, I can even go as far back as, what, about nine months before that. Yeah. You know, what had happened, I suppose it gave me a lot of strength. Mm. I was in my last year of of high school. I made the Gauteng under 19, went to Coke Week in, in Firinachen, and I was also in the provisional squad for South Carolina 19 to go to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is back in 2001, December. And prior to that, I played for the men's team, the Gauteng B team. Played with a couple, I think Grand Elliott also played in that game. Mm. I was still in school. So I broke my thumb. We were playing against Eastern Province or something like that. And I was fielding and I dove to my left. I can't remember if it was left or right. And my thumb was stuck in the ground. Oh, so it jammed. Yeah. Jammed into, into the ground. And next thing, gone. Uh, ligaments, everything. That was in October. Jeez. 
And I thought to myself, well, October, I got final exams around the corner. Yeah. How am I going to do this? So I had to obviously. This with your writing hand? Yeah. Oh my my writing hand. And I thought to myself, no, this can't happen. Obviously, I didn't finish the game, rushed to hospital, had to do my surgery. Mm. And I was out for, they told me I'm going to be out for two months. Jeez. And I thought to myself, okay, so, okay, right? Exams, I mean, we can make a plan, but I'm in a provisional squad mm. to go to the World Cup under 19 in New Zealand. Yeah. I was more worried about that than exams. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> I said, well, I have to play the National Cricket Week in December. Yeah. And when I looked at the timeline, it, it was a touch out. and go. It was a, such a touch and go. The only thing I could actually do with a strapped hand was bowl. I couldn't bat. And um, I mean, I could even hit the ball off the square. Jeez. That was very tough. But you know what? I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to dig deep here. Dig deep into my character. Mm-hmm. I'll find a way. I need to find the way here. Luckily, I made the heart in the 19. Went to Coke Week. I tried so hard. I mean, AB played. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's... Yeah, he was what a year or two younger than me. Mm-hmm. Half, and I remember that game, and I remember because I knew Northerns was such a good team. Yeah, yeah. And if I can actually grab a five for year, because everyone knew that I can guys, bat, yeah. they knew yeah. I could, I, I could bat. So that was not an issue. If I can just, and I just needed like one or two great performances. Sure. And then my name was right in there. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. So I was heartbroken. It was one of my biggest setbacks, and. Yeah. Who were the people in that moment? Because, I mean, you're a young kid now, right? Like you're 18 going on 19, 19 going on. Who's the voice of reason in your life at that point in time? Was it very much your parents still that were trying to provide you with? So who else was a significant voice in walking you through that very difficult time? I only had a single parent. Yeah. Most of my my youth. I mean, my mom didn't really understand a lot about the game. And I didn't also want to sort of share a lot because I know she would stress out and because she knew how much I actually wanted mm, it. Mm. Someone like Lawrence Martlani. Yeah. I mean, he was my coach. He understood me. He knew me from the age of 14. Sure. 14, right through. Luckily, he was Gauteng on a 19 coach. So he understood this person, Enoch, who Enoch is and what actually yeah. makes him tick. And mm. when Enoch is down, you know, how can we get him back to his best? Yeah. yeah. And he wanted me to, to succeed as well. Mm. So there was quite a Interesting energy, something that it was pretty new to me as well. I never wanted anybody to feel sorry for me. I've always been like that. But he was very good. You know, I would sit down with him and talk. We Not only about cricket, but about life. Mm. We'd talk about what could happen in the next year. Because I already decided then I'm taking a gap here. Yeah. You know, I need to take my foot off the pedal from a academic point of view mm. and look to invest a bit more time into my cricket. Okay. Because I just felt... You know what, let me give it a, a good shot for a year. If it doesn't happen, I mean, I already had bursaries to, to Vets University and sure. all that. And I said, just give me a year. Let's see, the next six months, yeah. I'll be able to tell if cricket is going to be my thing or not. Yeah, He helped me make a decision on whether to go overseas yeah. in my gap year or to stay and attend the Gauteng Academy. Yeah, I was very emotional. I was, I was broken. I remember driving back after the week. I was just lost. I was shattered. I just didn't know what was coming. And I went back home to my mom and my brother. Yeah, they just couldn't understand why I was feeling this way. I just kept in touch with Lawrence. And before that, when I was 13, when I was like 11, 12, 13, it was a guy called Marcus Mukhari. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a little bit about that experience as well, because without him, I don't don't think I'd, I'd be here today, to be honest. 
you know, because I had left cricket at that age. Yeah. Somehow you got me back into the game. Um, I went back to football. You know, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and he just managed to convince me. Okay. This is the direction you got to take. There is something special about you. And, you know, because you're a kid, you don't, just don't know. You're just playing. And then there's a, there's peer pressure. Sure. And you got to deal with that. There's a home pressure because they don't know what is cricket. Mm. So you're on your own. I mean, after school, you go back home and it's like there's no interest. You know, everybody in the neighborhood only understood football. Yeah. On the streets, everybody played football. Sure. So I became this sort of weird kid. Who are you? You know, and getting funny faces and all that. Funny looks as well. Homo Soweto, huh? Yeah. And and that was in Dobsonville. Yeah. And it was tough. It was tough to handle because we didn't have a father figure at home as well. So I just didn't know how to deal with that situation. For a month, I just disappeared from cricket to try and please sure. my friends. Yeah. And that was not the right call. I could feel it. It is not the right thing because I've always been this kid that, or this human being that wants to do something different to yeah. what the rest of the world does. Yeah. But it just never felt right that I'm doing something that it's not me. I'm doing it for them. What about me? And luckily, Marcus never gave up on me. When he saw me play a football match right next to the cricketing nets, and yeah. they were practicing over there, and, and I saw, I looked across and I saw them, <laughs> and I thought to myself, oops, okay. Did you get the look of death. <laughs> yeah, because the players, they started pointing at me. Oh, yeah. Because I was playing like on a left wing, and, yeah. and they're like, there's Enoch. So I felt so uncomfortable because one or two of them came. Yeah. So while I'm playing, they're shouting from the side, like, we're going to tell the coach, you need to come back to cricket. So they told him, and he gave me a call. That is and now he spoke, he spoke to my mom, and he said, listen, this kid, you know, he's losing it. My mom didn't understand up until that point, because she just hated, you know, to wash those. The, uh, the, the whites. The yeah. whites with the red marks, you know, because yeah. as a kid, you know, you just want to rub the ball. Of course. You just see it on yeah, TV, yeah. and you just, like, you get excited. You see Alan Donald or, you know. Shame, Yeah. Man. That experience and it was that under nineteen experience and those were the key people that actually uh, uh, guided me. I'm, I'm forever grateful. I'm still I'm still in touch with them. I mean, I just saw my under thirteen coach Marcus Mukhari literally yeah. a week ago. Magic. I haven't seen him in in a while, so we just keep in touch. And uh, Lawrence Lawrence is obviously the new head coach of the Ugandan team, and I also keep in touch with him. Yeah, and then from that experience, luckily I made the right call not to go overseas. Mm, mm. I stayed and made the Houting Academy, the Senior Academy. Again, there were some some good minds there. I mean, Grand Elliot was part of the academy. You had some some up and coming youngsters also, and some players that were Warren Dagmore. There were quite a few guys already playing first class cricket, and we were coached by the first class coaches. Yeah, so that actually helped. That like helped a lot. Incredible exposure. Yeah. And one massive take from from that academy was Tai Chi. Okay. Was doing Tai Chi. For, I think that even today is something I, I always think about. It's something that it has made a huge impact. Something away from the game. So Doc Ken Jennings. Yes, yes. He took us that whole winter. I mean, the first four weeks was hell. <laughs> I can imagine. It was seven o'clock. It was like at times it was just ice, yeah. grass, and it was just so called barefoot. Yeah. They were renovating the stadium. Yeah, yeah. Wanderers. So 
it really forced you to find your element, your zone. Talk to me about the Tai Chi. Was that an exercise in mindfulness? So kind of a group meditation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so to really focus on, on concentration. Okay. And to find obviously inner peace to, to balance. Wow. Because that applies in cricket. When you're batting, you need balance. Yeah. You need a good head. You need yeah. good concentration. When do you switch off? When do you switch on? You, you know, you play in front of big crowds. There's a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, how do you actually Insane switch, pressure as yeah. Well. yeah. How do you switch off from that noise, be able to focus on this cricket ball that is coming at you? Whether you're fielding or, or, or bowling or batting, you know, that apply. you need balance. Without balance, yeah, you're going to be found out. So that really helped me. And I did a lot of that, which led up to my debut. Yes. My debut game. Yeah. And I mean, you just mentioned some of those, those names that bowled at me. Unbelievable. When I walked out to bat, I mean, Derek Collian was there. Mm. And I just literally used my Tai Chi experience to yeah. calm myself, to really, you know, stay balanced. Um, Derek Collian was, oh, he made a huge impact in, in that innings because he kept things very simple. Because, you know, as a youngster. The, the team was failing. I mean, like. Uh, yeah, we were, we, were, we were serious. You on the ropes, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we like were four or five down and in, in serious trouble. 100%. And, and Daryl was a, a big part of, I think, explain to me the kinds of things he was saying to you on the field. And, very basic. Okay. I could not believe it. And, you know, as a kid, you always look up to those guys that oh, play yeah, international yeah. cricket. They're, they're demigods, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, they're going to probably come up with some sophisticated things <laughs> and ideas and stuff. No. Even during practice, you know, just mastering the fundamentals yeah. of the game, yeah. you know, and, and finding who you are. That innings for me was, was powerful because the guys were, were having a go. I'm sure. Ball one. I'm trying to unsettle me. Yeah. And I just went into my Tai Chi space yeah. where I got to control my body, my breathing, my headspace, concentration, switch off, switch on, switch off, switch on. So in between balls, I'll just literally three steps to the side and just switch off. Mm. And they make you noise. I got into that sort of element where in that winter, it was cold on my feet. It was going through my feet and throughout yeah. my body. And there were a lot of noises because of the re- renovation. So I took that as a noise. And so the fielding team. And you're in the bull ring. I in mean, the bull like ring, exactly. This, this, this environment that's basically a cauldron. Right? 100%. And literally that, that Tai Chi experience, it just literally got me into the now space. There's nothing else. It's, it's you. You're in control of your territory. For me, that was powerful. And on the other side, because Daryl just said, you know what, just get onto the other side. Find a way. If you get beaten, brilliant ball. You're still there. You're still batting. I mean, Andrew Hall, the skill level of Andrew Hall and Andrew Nell, those guys were just... On my, a, my, yeah. my Benoni brother, Andrew, yeah. Andrew Nell, yeah. Uh, not, uh, not a huge uh, practitioner of Tai Chi, I don't, I don't and, think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was super aggressive. And, Jeez, but it was, a, it was a nice... It was, I enjoyed the challenge, you know, because from ball one, I actually found my element. And that really helped me just to remain in that process. Get to the other side. And get to the other side, keep things very, very simple. And I think to myself... What do you mean simple? Hmm. They just, you know, you know what to do. You know yeah. how to defend. You know how to hit the ball. So if the ball beats you, it's okay. Yeah. You know, focus it's on the next ball. one. Yeah. And I'll get on to the other side and I'll watch him bat. And he really, literally kept everything simple. Mm. And he just counterattack and destroy the, the, the bowlers. Yeah. And they will have a go at him. And he just never held back. 
and that was actually quite fun to watch. You know, you're looking at this big guys and international players having a go at each other. And, yeah, yeah. and let's see who's going to who's actually going to win this battle. And I just like just focus on your game. What do you need to do in this moment? And yeah, in in no time we look up hundred round partnership. In no time we we're getting close to two hundred round partnership. Unfortunately. He lost his wicket, so yeah. I had to take up the senior role, mm. which was quite fun. At 19, of course. At 19, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah, I mean, we we managed to put on some key partnerships with the tail and and got to my 100 and the team got into a better position where, I mean, they were so happy. Just looking at that experience for me, it's, it almost sums up, you know, my journey as yeah. well, just as a person. Great podcasts don't happen without great guests, and great guests don't happen without great partners. This show wouldn't be possible without the help of Forward Zone. Find them at forwardzone.com. They're a global sports management specialist with a core focus on strategic consulting, experiential activations, and of course, talent management. And then Platform 45, who's come on board to sponsor a couple of episodes now. They're a software company. They're data-driven, design-thinking problem solvers, just like my guests. And they've done work for fintech startups, mining giants, pioneering entrepreneurs, and telecoms, amongst others. We thank them so much for their support. Please go check out their websites at forwardzone.com and platform45.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Sounds like it forged you as an individual and it was like a coming of age. This was the moment. Yeah. But if we're honest, it wasn't a fairy tale from there, right? I mean, you had this unbelievable start. You're playing against the very best that the country has to offer. I mean, I imagine you come out of that experience with unbelievable dreams of what's to come, right? But you didn't have the luck that some other people have. Yeah. Unfortunately, I um, got so many injuries, so many setbacks and to an extent, I take full responsibility. Yes, things were not as professional as they are today mm. from a medical point of view. Looking back, you know, because I never wanted to get dropped or be left out of the team, you know, you, you push yourself. Yeah. Even when you're carrying yeah. a bit of a niggle, you push yourself, but then you're actually aggravating it. Yeah. And then the next thing you're out for six weeks. There's no voice of reason there that's saying, uh, listen, yeah. you actually need to take a week. Just exactly. To and it here. was tough school, to be honest. You sit around in the change room. Yeah. There's Derek Hanley in there. There's yeah. Clive Exley in there. There's Adam Bacher. There's David Debrucher. You look around, you're like, yes, there's some legends here. You yeah. know? So you also don't want to let them down. And sure. I mean, the mindset back then in general in sport was, come on, you got to toughen up, you know, toughen up yeah. and all that. But you know, that not a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm not a hundred. Yeah, but you know, let me give it a go. Maybe I'll just I'll know, work through it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, picked up one or two injuries that set me back. I'd bounce back from those setbacks because one thing I've learned in life because I've had some tough experiences. Even when I was seven, I lost my dad at seven. Mm. So I've mm. had two sort of for a good two to three years trying to understand what actually happened, mm. why my dad is not around. So it was very tough upbringing with good value systems at home that actually helped us through. Mm. But in looking at all those experiences, something I've actually learned in life, you know, is in every setback, use it as an opportunity to thrive. Mm. That became my thing. Even though back then I, I never really put it in those words. Mm. I always looked at every setback, anything that's negative, turn it into a positive. So when I got injured, I guess it was hurting and I'll deal with the hurt 
for a day or two, mm. but then come on, switch on yeah. Got to yeah, got to get back to it. Yeah, go back into it, and that will help my injury, my rehab, and all that. I'll come back, play a couple of games. Strange enough, every time I started to actually play well, something will start to happen. You know, mm. I break my finger. Yeah, I remember betting with HDR coming again. We were on a back foot yeah. against Cobras. I mean, we had an attack of Alan Dawson, Shaw Wallaby, Wonders on the Quentin Frank. I mean, they had like a, almost a South African attack. Paul yeah. Adams was a spinner. Claude Anderson. We're playing in Paul. I mean, the betting lineup was just on another, another level. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you think of Graham Smith, uh, mm. Eshel Prince. Kalis didn't play that game, but strong. And we were in trouble. Walked into bat. That morning in the warm-ups, I broke my finger. Oh, no. <laughs> but I kept quiet about it. Yeah. I knew I'm in trouble. Uh, let me just get through this game and I'll do my scans and all that. I knew I was in trouble. So I took painkillers and I just strapped it. Yeah. And we lost the toss bet at first on the green top. Um, against Dawson. Against Dawson, all those She's guys. Swinging it both ways. Yeah, up, down, and just bending like Beckham. It was <laughs> unbelievable. So I'm sitting there. I think I was betting six or seven. And then we kept, uh, we were just in trouble. Mm. HDI came in and was betting four. It was almost like uh, that scenario of my debut. Yeah. I walked into bat. HD is like, you know, can do this and form a partnership. We, we, we put on together another a massive uh, hundred round partnership mm. and I got out on like 80. Mm. Silly, very, very silly. I was getting too comfortable. Mm. My first sort of 20 rounds were tough. I mean, the ball was moving all over the show. Mm. I just needed to again, you know, yeah. you know, balanced, watch the ball, keep things very, very basic. It's almost like whenever there's a challenge, whenever there's pressure, I respond better. Mm. I always believe that. So when that was presented to me, I just felt at home. I felt safe. I felt comfortable yeah. under pressure. Yeah. And the next thing I'm on 80, but we, we had to graft it. We had to graft hard and it got easier in different phases where we would dominate. And obviously they were well experienced bowlers and they'll pull it back. And I enjoyed that day mm. and I was not really happy with myself. I threw it with such an opportunity of a, a good hundred on really tough conditions, great partnership as well. So I learned from that, but then I knew that I'm probably going to be out, out of the game for like two months. And for me, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, I went for my scans afterwards, found out that this joint was shattered. That's not great. So I thought to myself, shattered? Not like, not even like a, a, a fracture. Yeah. Or a spiral fracture. Yeah, I said, just, no, it's shattered. Geez. Because when I was batting, it was broken already. Mm. When I was batting, I got hit mm. on the gloves about three, four times on the same geez. spot. So it was obviously making it worse. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew. They had to fuse it. That was the only way. And I Jeez, thought, man. coach then, Shukri, Shukri Kondrak, yeah, yeah. he also made a huge impact, especially from... An amazing personality. Yeah, sport, from, yeah. from under 19 cricket. Mm. In, you know, that whole transition into uh, professional cricket. I mean, he, he was very tough on me, mm. which, I, which I needed. Yeah. Um, and when I told him after the game that oh, he was shattered as well because... He saw the way I was playing. Mm. Had to wait for the next season. And um, now I just grew from all those setbacks, to be honest. But eventually, at 26, I had to call it because I fell, cut my ulnar nerve. I'm on my right. You can see it here. I fell at home and threw a glass, cut my ulnar nerve, everything. Jeez. Then I knew that, okay, I think that's it. It's amazing in that moment. 
because I lost so much blood. So I was scared of obviously I might lose my life, but I was okay with it. I was okay with with everything that's happening that I might not be able to play or compete professionally. Because in that moment, I was already, after surgery, I was already thinking of plan B. How? I, I mean, like, I, I, yeah, you know, it, it's, like it's, there's so many people that in that situation would have gone into the pit of despair, right? Yeah. What is it about you <laughs> I, I that's just, different? I, I, I suppose maybe their life experiences before that. Yeah. I've had so many setbacks. I mean, losing my dad, my family losing a lot of businesses. Mm, mm. We had some massive family issues, you know, and then all of a sudden at 12, I was picked to go to England, 12 year old and strange conditions. I failed in terms of my performance because mm. I was so not used to failing. Mm with a bat and a ball. So I'm always succeeding. All of a sudden I find myself in this cold country, wet. How do you play cricket here? Yeah, you know? And yeah. so through those experiences, I come back, I got offered a bursary to go to Saints. Mm. Like one of the top three schools in South Africa. Mm. And I'm so worried about my academics. And then I had to sort of have a bridge year or something yeah. to try and, <laughs> you know, make up my academics and that. Yeah. And now it's graphs hard. And I met Houting on a 19 in the same year, in 1996. It was, it was such a crazy year that I had to up my studies, my grades. And at the same time, I needed to you know, stay in tune with my cricket. Couldn't take my foot off the pedal. So I'll give you an example. Like I would go to a school in Melville, which I did well. Straight after that, I'll go to Wanderers, catch a taxi to Wanderers. Mm. So I'd wake up like at 4 a.m. Mm. and around around 5, half past 5, I had to leave home mm. as this 13-year-old, catch a taxi to a train station, get to Melville um, uh, train station. So from Soweto to uh, train station in Melville. Make sure I don't miss the bus at 7.30 mm. or else I'm going to be late. And that's something I, I just hate being late. Um, and I make sure that I don't miss that bus. Get that bus, carry my cricket bag and my school bag. Get to school, do what I got to do. After that, catch a taxi to Wanderers Stadium. Arrive there on time. Would get off top of College Drive. Yeah, walk down. Walk down. Get there, get changed. Well, everybody else, all my teammates, you know, they all get dropped off. They of go course, to good yeah. schools. They're, they're only 20 minutes away from Wanderers. Mm. Uh, but that didn't bother me. Do you understand? I mean, that, sure. is, that is their lives. And yeah. This is my life. So, and we'll go through that. Practice for two hours. After practice, get ready. Walk to the top. Walk of. to the top. Get there. There's like a long queue. Eventually a taxi come. Uh, we get to town. And now this is around 7, 7 p.m. I haven't eaten. Last time I ate was lunch. 7 o'clock, get to town, another long queue. Sure. No cell phones, obviously, yeah. back then. By the time I leave town, it was like 8 o'clock, half past 8. I'll get home only like 9.30. Some days, 10 o'clock, and my mom literally lost it. She literally told me, that's it. You're going to stop this game. This, this sport can't, do this, yeah. can't deal with this anymore because emotionally just killing it. I mean, then, you, then you're having dinner and trying to start your schoolwork yeah. at like 10 o'clock at night. Got, yeah, then you got to clean yourself up. You got to bath. So what I did was I get home, bath, have my dinner. 
then go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. If we go to test, then I'll wake up at three. So I'll only sleep for four hours, wake up at three, do my studying. Just that is something I, I just made my mind up to say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna hold back. This is a lifetime opportunity to go to Saints. I know it's gonna be tough. A lot of people are, you know, Mm. On my on my ear about it, like it's a tough school, it's a private school. You know, a lot of questions. Will, will I be able to to get through that? I just saw it as an opportunity to do something. I don't have a dad, and my dad will be proud of me. Mm. My mom, I know for sure. Why not? So I made it through that year, and um, yeah, got to Saints. Yeah, it was a culture shock, to be honest. I'm sure. I'm sure. Serious, serious culture shock. My first year. <laughs> for me, it was all about just make it. Yeah. Just get through the first year. Yeah. Because then you would have learned how the system works. Yeah. Yeah. And then you become comfortable and then it's up to you how far you want to stretch yourself. Yeah. That was my, because my cricket was was going well at Saints. Yeah. You know, I got all so much respect because mm-hmm. of my cricket and we already talks of this 14 year old making the first team. Amazing. You know, I never allow that to get into my head. Mm. For me, I was more worried about my, my grades. You know, <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, because it would have been easy to resign yourself to doing yeah. averagely and focusing exclusively on, on, on the cricket as a, as a kind of lever, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I got through my first year. I just made it. I, I, I'll never forget that moment. I was so relieved because I knew how many people, my family, the cricketing people, that backed me. I mean, MTS Patel, mm, mm. David Bacha, who, when I go to Cape Town and this time I actually uh, paid him a visit the other time. Okay. I mean, those were guys that obviously helped me get the bursary and I, I just could not let those people down. There was a company that was sponsoring me, mm. you know, bursary. Mm. I could not let them down. My family, I'm like, if I fail, I'm going to go back. And then what? No, I'm not going to do that. There's an opportunity. So that's how I looked at it. And then, my second year, third year, I got comfortable into the system and obviously made more friends. My cricket grew and it was just up to me how far I want to go in life. I've, I've built such a nice network. Even now it's Saints. I mean, they still get calls and ask me to come talk and all that. It's been brilliant. It's almost like, you know, I was actually talking to my best friend the other day. I was like, funny how my life has actually worked out because it seems like Every time I get thrown into you know, an environment where I got to fix the system, I got to find ways to better the system. I've made peace with that because I've never really gone into an environment where it's thriving and I can just take it forward. I've always had to sort of come in and invest a bit of new ideas or whatever and or fight my way through and, and then it starts mm-hmm. kicking on, which is fine. I mean, I don't have an issue with that. And I enjoy that mm-hmm. very much. And mm-hmm. like I said, in my playing days, I seem to perform better under pressure. And in my life, I've always seen it as well that, you know, every time my life is on a back foot, I tend to respond better. Um, and yeah, I'm, and I took that into my coaching philosophy as well. So we hop back in our time machine, got 20 years into the future. Yeah. You come off this really great experience in the Netherlands, you have a sensational run at the Lions and you get a phone call, right? (laughs) Talk to me about that phone call. Talk to me about the decision to join. I imagine what must have been the goal for a very long time, right? To become part of the 
coaching family at the Proteas. And how has everything that has happened led up to the ideology and the philosophy that you bring into this environment? If we're honest, a very interesting time for South African cricket. Mm. Tell me about today. Tell me about getting that phone call, taking up this position. What keeps you up at night? What are you excited about? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> now, look, I mean, that whole Lions experience, leading up to that, um, I remember speaking to Jody Martins, and I speak to him a lot as well. You know, he's a performance coach or mental coach. And... Through all my research and came across, yeah, the, the Seawalks coach, Pete Carroll. Mm. Pete Carroll. I listened to him for, for a number of hours, for a number of days, just his life experience in coaching. Mm. You know, he's been fired so many times and he's coached different teams, different levels. And finally now he's been with the Seawalks for more than 10 years. Mm. You know, he had an interview with college students and he spoke about life philosophy and coaching philosophy that for him is the same because he needed to find an environment obviously that he can be himself you know he can drive his philosophy and he spoke a lot about his philosophy how it actually helped him throughout all these bad and good experiences and to where he is today or obviously back then and i thought to myself philosophy and he unpacked it he spoke about how you got to that philosophy. I mean, for him, it's about, you know, uh, compete. It's a, you know, be competitive. That's how simple it is because that's who he is. He's always been that person from a very young age throughout. So what I started doing, I started to unpack my life journey from as far back as I can remember mm. and try and find what has actually stuck with me consistently. What did I say a lot? So throughout my youth, what are your truths? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and what has actually worked for me throughout all the setbacks I've had and all the good times or the great times, what is it that stood out the most? And consistently I've done it, you know, over a period of time. And I started to just write down everything, just write, keep, I like, I wrote pages and pages and I got stuck. I'm like, okay, this is too much information. I need to simplify it. And then, I did, with the help of Jody Martins. And eventually I got to bullet points, sort of like pillars, four pillars that, because I also looked at my transition into my coaching, what actually stood out, working with under-19s, South Carolina-19s, how to under-19s, the semi-professional teams, different teams in South Africa, the SA-18, what is it that actually stood out mm. that I was consistent in saying to the players? Mm. Boom, got it. And then... I remember that one call I made to Jody Martin. I said, I, I got it. This is what I say. I, I got my philosophy. Because it's the same things I used in the Netherlands as well. Uh, I remember a player like Wesley Baresi played mm. for Netherlands. He actually enjoyed one of my pillars that I used a Hell lot. Player. Yeah. And got a good relationship with him as well. And I thought, okay, well, this is it. So this is how it goes. The first pillar is be yourself, mm. be authentic. That has always been about me. Just, and I, I got that from my brother. My brother told me, he actually advised me at the age of 13. <laughs> yeah, I won't go deep into that. <laughs> but uh, he advised me because I was sort of a bit lost in that moment. And he said, no matter what happens in life, just be yourself. Mm. Let people know who you are and 
what you're about. Shout out to your brother. Huh? I told him like last year, I said, do you understand how, how much of an impact you've made? Mm. We're not that close, but part of my philosophy is something you advised me when I was 13. Wow. I actually sent him a message because I was overseas. He didn't know what to say, wow. how to reply. He replied like a day later. Mm. I'm sure he must have cried a tear or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it's be yourself. Mm-hmm. Master the little things. Okay. So master the basics. Yeah. Always strive to master the basics. Yeah. The third one, which I enjoy the most is find a way and make it work. Mm. So Get no, to the other side. Yeah. Just yeah. there are no excuses. Yeah. Life will always be about challenges. We always get ourselves into some difficult situations, but there is a way out of them. There is, you just got to find a way. So my thing, it became, you know, be yourself, master the little things, find a way and make it work. Don't find a way and go sit back and feel sorry for yourself and go, ah, but why? No, make it work. Do it your way though. The last one is be ambitious, basically. So reach new heights. So always look for opportunities just to, to stretch yourself further, doesn't matter what it is. In essence, what I'm saying, be ambitious. That's always what I advise the coaches, anybody else to say, we're all ambitious. Some of them, maybe they don't see it, they don't feel it, maybe because of other factors, but you got to be ambitious in life. And it doesn't mean you have to be a CEO, you have to be a president, you have to know, because once you are ambitious, I mean, you can make such a huge impact. You don't have to be a millionaire or a billionaire, whatever, to be well-recognized or whatever, or to make a huge impact. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're passionate about, you can make a huge impact. So you find some people that are not ambitious and are just like, what do you mean? You know, and, and why? Surely there's something that you wake up every morning that drives you. doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the same as mine. It can be very, very small, tiny. But surely there's got to be something. If there isn't, we got to go find it. So yeah, that's my philosophy and that's something that has been working. I know it's going to probably evolve in a couple of years' time. And when I coached the Lions, I found it. It kept me intact with my vision as well. The team, it kept me well connected with the team. Mm. And even when the opportunity came to coach the Proteas uh, initially as an interim team director, when I received that call, I was in Canada um, oh, yeah. at the GLT20. Oh, of course, because you were involved with the Vancouver... Vancouver Knights, yes, yeah. Okay. It was strange how it happened. So I received a call and and I got offered. And I think to myself, is this for real? <laughs> <laughs> you know, is this, is this... I mean, England just won the World Cup literally yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And, and I was there um, on an educational tour. Uh, we went to some of the best organizations. That is me as well. I like to keep learning, learn from different People learn from different organizations. doesn't have to be sport. It can be business, like I said before. What is it I can find that can actually challenge me or stretch me or better me as a human being? So when I got that call, I just didn't know how to respond. Hmm. Didn't even think twice about it. I accepted right there. It's, it's almost it's like... The, let it, me think? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's something you always dream of. I sort, of. sort of like I believed I can do it one day, but I was so invested in my three-year strategic plan at Lions. And then my, my, my thinking then was, I'm hoping that the opportunity will come after three years or even after five years. You know, for me, it's about 
transforming this system at Lions Cricket and making it one of the best in the world mm. and have some sort of influence on the business end of the Lions Cricket. I was on a process of putting this massive structure, the new way of thinking, the new way of doing things. But when that opportunity came, I thought, why don't you just do it from the top? You know, not only at Lions Franchise, just do it for the whole country. Mm. I saw it as an opportunity to do that and say, okay, well, we were very bad at, at the World Cup, very bad, no excuses. And this is a time where we need to right to the cage and get our system right. Mm. And I took up the opportunity and there was such great support. Internally, there was such great support, family, friends, everybody. And we started to put things into place. Unfortunately, certain things happened. Again, probably maybe to an extent, lack of leadership sort of set us back a little bit. Mm. And there were obviously some changes in the Protea setup in the organization and obviously Boucher took up the, the opportunity with Graham becoming a director and they approached me and said, listen, we like how you think, how you do things and we'd like to keep you in our system mm. and at Protea's level. Uh, we, they believed in me and that. Yeah, I was hurt. I'm not gonna lie and say no, I wasn't hurt. You know, I was I was hurt and not at them. Mm. I was more disappointed and hurt from the previous leadership. So, and um, I gave it like a day or two. Spoke to my circle. I knew the risks. Mm. I still had my contract with the Lions. Give that up. You know, take up this opportunity. That's the thing with me. It's it's never about me. You know, when I started coaching, I made it clear to everyone, to teams I've worked with, to myself as well, that it will never be about me. It will always be about the system and how can I help to make the system better. So I put myself in that position and I said, let me do it. There's clear plans and there's a direction. Let me get involved here. Can always pull the plug if I have to, but I wasn't thinking like that. I was thinking, okay, let's all, as a team, let's get the system right. Look, I mean, I'm not going to say it's, you know, it's been rosy and all that. There's sure. always going to be challenges. It never um, is at this level, right? Yeah, and I've enjoyed those challenges. You know, We've had to obviously form strong partnerships and look at short-term goals and medium-term, long-term and see how that looks. Yeah, it's been a hell of a journey. I've really enjoyed it. But obviously, I mean, COVID had to come in and change our way of doing things. Mm. And then again, for me, there was like, well, it was tough. You know, lockdown was never easy for anybody, but sure. we needed to find ways. Yeah. And again, it fell back into my philosophy as well. It's not only my coaching philosophy, but my life philosophy mm. is find a way and make it work. You just never know what the outcome is going to be. So we had to work out ways, different ways. And it's been uh, obviously not ideal, but we're not going to make that an excuse. We're going to say, okay, well, we've been presented with this situation. Uh, how do we move forward? For me, that's been key. Yes, it hasn't been easy. Obviously, um, doing three months, having to travel under these conditions and, and being stuck, it feels like, you know, you've been stuck, but, you know, you're away from family, mm. you know, especially my daughter, you know, it's, sure. it's been quite tough, but it's something you sign up for and you do it. And when you succeed, you share the success with them at the end of the day and everyone is happy, happy for you and happy for the country. But as long as it's very clear from on, from onset, why are you in there? You know, if, if the why is not clear enough, it will never work. 
Well, Enoch, I'm not a player and uh, I'm not a coach, but I am a lifelong Proteas fan uh, since since I watched uh, Alan Donald bowl that first ball at the 92 Cricket World Cup and Nick Orford, I think it was one of the Chapel brothers. I can't remember exactly who it was, but <laughs> Dave Richardson takes the catch. We run around celebrating and Brian Aldridge doesn't give it out, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yet we go on to win that match by nine wickets and I'm like, I will support these guys yeah. <laughs> to the bitter end. Yeah. I mean, obviously I followed your career before this, but hearing you speak about your journey, hearing you speak about your philosophy and how that philosophy is, so interestingly, even as we were speaking, I could hear those points come out as the the pillars in your story, not just something you made up one day going, yeah. hey, these sound like good ideas. They are baked into your life story. And I can't imagine how, if you keep following that recipe, you won't continue to experience remarkable success. And just as a Proteus fan, as a proud South African, I'm just really grateful to have you in the team makeup. And I can't wait to see what you guys will achieve next. It's just a real pleasure watching you go from strength to, to strength. Just as a parting thought, Enoch, for young people that are listening to the show and maybe are coming up through the, 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 the academies, through the sporting system, have ambitions around achieving in the sport or in any sport for that mm. matter, um, or even, you know, see themselves as, as coaching one day? What what one piece of advice would you give them as they move up through the system? I mean, I don't want to say a lot, especially with the generation today. Something that I've, I've picked up having worked throughout the system is keeping things simple. Yeah. I think there's so much information with internet. I mean, YouTube, uh, lots of kids. I mean, we've I've coached every level from mm. under 13 throughout. And they show you on your phone, I want to play this shot. I want to do this. And I think we tend to forget the fundamentals, fundamentals of sports, the fundamentals of life, the, the life values, all those things. If, 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 if kids today can actually just revisit that, keep the basics in place, because that is your base and that base, you're going to need it. Even when you tend to become a professional, you know, relationships are massive. That's something uh, I spoke about it on a 13 week, a couple of years ago, the importance of relationship, because you can have like a Rabado, a Quentin de Kock, who at the age of 18, 19, the breakthrough into international cricket. Mm, mm. And as a coach, as a professional coach, you sit in that position. You're still trying to learn about this person. But one thing that can actually speed up the process is being able to reach out to that person's under 13 coach or under 11 mm. coach who really understands their makeup. And that is important. So for players, for anybody it's important that you actually just own those relationships, keep those relationships because you never know when you're going to need that person in your life. I still ask for advice. I might not see my under 13 coach for five years, but, but he understands why. I'll always go back to him for certain things. I'll always go back to this person, this person. So relationships are key. And for me, that is also something that I've learned, you know, learning about leadership as well from Jürgen Klopp when he I remember three in a preseason uh, with Liverpool I think three years ago he spoke massively about relationship and I was like hey got it mm. it's huge and that's something I tried it at Lions it was just me being me connecting with the office every human being so every morning what I'll do I'll get to the office at 7 seven thirty. practice is only at 10 so I give myself ample amount of time to prepare to get my mindset in the right place. Uh, have a coffee, relax. Eight o'clock, I'll walk up to the office, greet everyone. That's all I did. Greet everyone, go to the ground staff, go to the whoever is in the environment, just greet them. Just greet people. 
connecting with people. I think we tend to forget that sometimes, even as kids. So the young players today, there's so much pressure from home, from private coaching, from, from provincial coaching, from a club cricket, from school, from agents, from this, from that. They want success so, so quickly. So just keep it simple. Master the basics. That's it. You know, those basics will carry you through because once you enter the real world, you know, once you leave school, you're on your own. Mm. The parents are not there. Now you got to network, you got to find your feet. And if you don't have a strong enough base as a human being, you're going to struggle because when you get thrown with those challenges, you might take the easy way out. And that's not how life works. Don't take the easy way out. My friend, I'm, I'm very grateful. You've dropped some proper nuggets of wisdom uh, throughout <laughs> this this show. And I, I know you're extremely busy, so I'm very grateful for, for you taking the time out. Good luck in prep for the season. Smash those palms. We'll be watching <laughs> from home thank and, you and cheering much. you guys on. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to connecting soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity again. And uh, it's been awesome. I mean, it's always nice to meet new people and never know. Great stuff. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com click on the podcast link and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, a one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.